Sometimes I'm just sitting there singing and, I, and all of a sudden it occurs to me, I'm next. It's quite a jolt. A few years back, a book came out and the title of the book was Over 100 Million Women Are Missing. It was uh, quite a work, a benchmark work that dealt with, uh, deals with gender imbalance, particularly in India, China, and elsewhere. The, a year later, another book, um, Unnatural Selection, came out. And it talks about how the world is choosing boys over girls and the consequences of a world full of men. And there are societies around the world, particularly the three most dominant populous countries, where when a a woman is pregnant and they determine that the baby inside of her is a female. By the way, let me ask you this week, have you thought about the unborn? Have you uh, talked about the unborn? Have you prayed about the unborn? Have you gotten angry about uh, someone's position on the unborn? Have you taken to social media? Have you canceled a friend? Have you refused a social outing because of what's happening with the unborn? And there are societies around the world where if they determine or when they determine that the baby in the mother is a female, that baby is more likely to be aborted or more likely to be abandoned, literally left uh, naked and starving. And what's the world coming to with this gender imbalance? The World Health Organization estimates that one in three women will be physically or sexually victimized. Um, There's an organization that works for the United Nations. They're involved in education, science, and culture. It's a cultural organization. And they give an estimate that in developing nations, only one in four women will receive a primary education. Today, if you're here, uh, we're catching you by surprise, or maybe you knew when you came today that we're addressing courageous, or we're having courageous conversations, and today's courageous conversation is answering the question, in part, is Christianity oppressive to women? And maybe if you know a Bible, or to have a Bible, own a Bible, have read a Bible, heard about the Bible, you may say today at the outset, but doesn't Christianity uh, teach patriarchy? Doesn't it teach uh, polygamy? Doesn't it have those verses that talk about how a wife should submit to her husband, how a man is in authority over a woman? And what I want to do from the very beginning is to actually say something that might be counter to what you believe or what you've heard. And I believe uh, in the time that I have that I can defend this position, that I can back it up, at least in part. And that is that the Bible is a progressive book. Not like you would maybe think politically, but the Bible is a very progressive book in that it meets people where they are and moves them forward. That God uh, takes people and moves them forward to a bigger and a better world. And what we find to be offensive and shocking and culturally inappropriate for where God met them at the time, this was an advancement, a groundbreaking advancement with humanity. God, you see in the Bible, the arc of the story is God calling and pulling and advancing humanity forward, truly into a bigger and better world. Today, what I want to do is take two of the strange passages of the Bible. Uh, the, the room temperature is going to go up. It happened at 930. So turn the air conditioning down real quick. Uh, we're going to read these passages, not going to run from them. And I'm going to try to make sense. And remember, my premise is that the scripture, what, what to us seems offensive, what seems to us to be a little jarring was actually a groundbreaking advancement for people at that time. So this one passage is found in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 21, and it's verses 10 to 14. We're just going to read it. Temperature is going to go up. 
When you go to war against your enemies and the Lord your God delivers them into your hands and you take captives, if you notice among the captives a beautiful woman or attracted to her, you may take her as your wife. Bring her into your home and have her shave her head, trim her nails, and put aside the clothes she was wearing when captured. After she has lived in your house and mourned her father and mother for a full month, then you may go to her and be her husband and also she shall be your wife. If you are not pleased with her, let her go wherever she wishes. You must not sell her or treat her as a slave since you have dishonored her. This passage, how would you describe it? Let's, let's give a stab. Primitive, barbaric, sexist, demeaning, degrading, offensive, repulsive. What words may come to mind? This, in context, is a story about the spoils of war. The spoils of war. So everything, every problem passage in the Bible, everything that may rattle us or confuse us, we need to take in proper context. So this, again, the spoils of war. So what happens in war? Let's state the obvious. In war, people battle. In war, there's blood lost. In, in war, there's raping and pillaging and someone falls down. I mean, it, it's real. Think of watching MMA in our day. Some of you do that. Uh, some of you ladies watch MMA. I think that's, uh, you know, weird. But uh, in MMA, right, I mean, someone is taken down a different than basketball. I've been watching a little bit of N- NBA. I've gone years without watching the playoffs. I kind of got into it uh, this year, thanks to uh, my oldest son. But, you know, watching NBA, you know, they play and they shake hands typically, or at least after the seventh or the final game, they shake hands. But in MMA, man, somebody's down and they're just, they're bloodied and beaten. And the ring is, you know, like you couldn't pay me to mop that thing up. And they're just out and one stands over the other. And thank, thankfully for a ref or uh, some good morals anyway. That, I mean, they could have their way with that person who is down. And war, unlike the MMA, is people who win. They have vanquished their foe. And they can have their way. And it's called, in history, it's called the spoils of war. And don't think it isn't happening in our world today. It's happening in the Ukraine and other places. But one, the one who is victorious stands over the other. We're not talking about a pleasant subject here. But one stands over the other and they can have their way. What would they have their way with? Everything. The spoils of war is the one who has vanquished their foe. They treat everything, including people, women and children, as their possessions. They take animals. They take jewelry. They take tents. They take food. They take slaves. They take wives. They have their way. And what seems so shocking and repulsive to us was actually a groundbreaking advance. Because into that world, the spoils of war comes this passage. And this passage says several things that are ennobling to all of humanity. It says that the women should be taken in. In other words, they should be given food. They should be given shelter. They should not be thrown out there to be further exploited. They should have the essentials of life. And when it says that they should be allowed to shave their head, trim their nails, and change their clothes, of course that's weird in 2022. Like that's very weird. But back then, that's what they did. The shaving of the head, uh, the trimming of the nails, the changing of the clothes, all represented mourning. And so here's what this passage is saying. It's a groundbreaking advancement because it's saying women do matter. Women aren't property because properties don't feel. Spoils of war don't have emotion. Allow these women to mourn, to mark the moment. And these markers of mourning were those, was that trifecta. You've heard sackcloth and ashes, things like this. Those were markers of mourning that we largely don't have as identifiable in our day. But they did back then. And this passage into that world of spoils of war, this passage comes and it's saying they're not property. They have feelings. They are people. They matter. They need to be seen. And when it says to take 
them as their wife, they're saying she has rights, she has responsibilities. She's a member of a household. That's the way that God created her. And when it says uh, to, to, to be careful as you take her in, not to just to wrongly release her, uh, she could easily be the product of exploitation. Uh, and so that passage speaks to this. And here's my argument again. What is offensive to us, what shocks us, is a groundbreaking advancement to them. Now it's going to heat up because we're going New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and we're going to read a lot of verses. And some of you nod your head because you know that it's getting hot in here. Not in an Ellie way, but in a, in a church way. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions. That's an important word, even as I deliver them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head since it is the same as if her head were shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should not cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why a wife... Can y'all tell I've read this a few times? That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head, because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as a woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman. And all these things are from God. Judge for yourself, is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? There's more. Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him. But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory. For her hair is given to her for a covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. Nah, Paul, nobody wants to be contentious. We got this. You got it? Everybody good? All right. Y'all aren't hot. I'm hot. Y'all are good. Y'all are like, man, how does he get out of this one? You remember my premise? You know the point that I'm arguing? What are we saying? What seems shocking and offensive and repulsive and backwards and primitive, blah, 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 to us is actually a groundbreaking advancement. Paul wrote these words to Jews and Gentiles in Corinth. And do you know that pre-Jesus, that they couldn't have a synagogue if they didn't have 10 men present? And if there was nine men and a woman, they didn't have synagogue? So can I translate, let's break that down. Let's say we had a policy and we don't and we won't ever. But let's say we had a policy, unless there's 10 people, RG, showing up for church, we won't have church. So let's say I was back there in my office waiting for 10 people to show up. And there are 10 people here, but one of them is a woman. Someone comes to me and says, well, Robert, we, uh, we can't start because we only have nine. And let's say I look out there and go, well, there's 10. Well, but that, she's a woman. She doesn't count. So into that world, not the spoils of war, but into to a very patriarchal Jewish society, into that world, Paul writes, and look where he takes it. He takes it because Jesus took it. We're going to get to Jesus in a minute. But Paul's saying, did you see verse 5 in the midst of all the confusion and weird and maybe creepy things? Paul says that when women pray and prophesy, are you kidding me? He's saying they count. He's not only saying, I know there's difference here, and I know I'm going to get some emails, and I'm ready for it. But listen to me. Paul is saying, not only do women count, 
He's saying that they pray and they prophesy. Women speak in the assembly. Women teach in the congregation. Again, differing views. I do respect my brothers and sisters who think a little differently than me on this. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But here's what I'm saying. You can study it all you want to. You can go to the original Greek. But there's overlap with teaching and prophecy and speaking in the assembly. And Paul is taking them forward as Jesus did and saying, Hey, you said women didn't count. I'm telling you they count and they have a part. They have a part And they should speak and they should lead and they should be involved as God has gifted them. At Fondren Church, we not only want to permit women to lead, we actually want to pursue women to lead. Because I think it is a good thing and it's a biblical thing. Now Paul, the one who would write this, uh, he would say this about himself. Acts 22.3, he was a very learned man to say the least. And he said this, this is his testimony. I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Sicilia, but brought up in this city, educated. Here's my phrase that I want you to hone in on. Educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers. You talking about strict, being zealous. You talking about being zealous. For God, as all of you are this day. Study uh, biblical history and learn what the, the, the people had to memorize. Particularly, by the way, and this is part of the point. It's germane to what we're talking about, particularly the boys. What the boys had to memorize. Some of y'all complain uh, about your teachers. My son and uh, his older two brothers and sisters, they've complained about a certain English teacher they had at their school. I'm like, you ain't seen nothing, man. What they had to memorize is unbelievable. By the way, y'all can memorize some Bible verses. You can follow along with me as we memorize a verse a week. You can do this. But Paul had a towering intellect. And notice the language. It says that he sat at the feet of Gamaliel. Now, if someone asks you out in the community where you go to church... By the way, if you're a visitor, welcome. But if this is your church, someone says, hey, where do you go to church? You may say Fondren Church. If someone says, who's the pastor? You probably might say, well, Robert Green is the pastor at Fondren Church. But nobody says, I sit at the feet of Robert Green. <laughs> now, I'd like you to say that. In fact, I want to challenge you to go say that this week. It was, uh, no, nobody's going to say it. You, you may call me RG. You may forget what my name is, actually. And you probably like it when one of the younger guys preaches. But... Hey, no, we don't talk that way, but they did. Now, stay with me. Paul is saying, I sat at the feet of, because people then, in a mentoring, discipleship, apprentice culture, they sat at someone's feet that they respected, who was more learned than them. I mean, we do. We just don't, it's not venerated like it was with them. So, Luke chapter 10, Jesus had just told the story. Like, I'm waiting to tell a story that everybody goes and talks about. Jesus told a story. It's called the Good Samaritan, and everybody in the world knows this story. Like, it's the most, it's known as the most popular story ever told. Well, right after that, he's talking about two sisters, Martha and Mary, that were good friends with him. Um, Remember, we're asking, does Christianity oppress women? The central figure of Christianity is Jesus, and he affirmed the rights of women all along, astoundingly so. But one thing is necessary. I'm giving you a little, little context. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. What did he call uh, the sister? The sister's Martha. And he said, what? Martha, Martha. Anybody, uh, it's Mother's Day, right? So when you, anybody got a mama, they call your name twice when you're in trouble or use your full name. And Jesus employed that. He said, Martha, Martha, you were anxious and you were troubled about many things. But Mary has chosen the good part. Now back up to verse 39, Luke 10, 39. And she had a sister called Mary, Martha's sister, who sat at the Lord's feet. Hear that? sat at the Lord's feet, and listened to his teaching. 
So we hear this verse. In fact, I think Jen Wilkins and maybe Beth Moore and some of these great women teachers of the Bible that I have great respect for, they've written these Bible studies. And when they get to Luke 10, they're talking about the, the value of the contemplative life, that you, you don't do good, especially moms. Y'all are way too busy. I, I watch her live and marvel at her energy and her sacrifice. Women, you go too hard. And so this, you know, it's, it's good and right to teach this, but no first century, no first century person would have interpreted it that way. And what Jesus is saying is, listen to me, Jesus is saying, Martha, Martha, he did not, he didn't praise Martha because stay with me. She was doing what women stereotypically do. She was in the kitchen. But Jesus praises Mary because she was doing what men stereotypically do. She was at, she was becoming a disciple. You with me? So what's kind of weird to us, and honestly, there's nothing shocking about this story in particular, but, uh, but it, it, I, I do want you to say, it's a groundbreaking advancement. So I get up, I'm, I'm really proud to follow Jesus. Can you tell sometimes? And here's the thing about Jesus. In history shows us clearly, no rabbi in the history of the world ever did this. And Jesus is saying to everybody, to women in particular, your value is not the husband you belong to or the children that you bear. Your value is you're created in the image of God as a disciple of Jesus. Happy Mother's Day, by the way, moms. We're really happy that you are a mother, but uh, a woman, women, you are, that's not your ultimate value. And Jesus is advancing and he's saying, hey, women, here, here's the thing. Be a follower of God. He's, we, I've created you, and this is what matters. Don't take your uh, identity from a man. Don't look to a man to provide you your salvation. Be a disciple of Jesus. And this was, I keep using the word, maybe overusing it, it was groundbreaking. It was an advancement. God is pulling and calling and advancing society into a bigger and a better world. One time Jesus was teaching, and he uh, was teaching some hard things. This is in the next chapter, Luke 11. And uh, somebody wanted to give him relief. They wanted to like ease the tension. Y'all know anybody like that when like you're having like a family discussion or you're in a small group and opinions are, you know, out there and there's just tension or maybe somebody's acting a fool. There's tension in the room and then uh, somebody eases the tension like through sarcasm or joke. Y'all know anybody like that? Like they got a joke and they, they, ooh, it's tense. And so somebody, yeah, I don't know anybody like that either, but uh, they exist. There's people like that. They always feel like they have to joke around. Um, Luke eleven twenty seven. as Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out. She's easing the tension. She says, blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. And this is what you, friends, this is what you call a pious platitude. Church people are full of them. And Jesus could have said, oh yeah, thank you. Love my mom. Hail Mary, full of grace. She brought me into the human race. He could have said something like that. I'm just giving Jesus ideas. He could have said something like that, but he didn't. How did he respond? Next verse, Luke eleven twenty eight. He replied, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Are you with me? Blessed are those who hear the word. A wonderful time to affirm mamas. A wonderful time to say happy Mother's Day. A wonderful time to talk about how a woman's ultimate value is in being a mom. And Jesus did not go there because he was, he was a groundbreaking son of God who is moving humanity forward and doesn't get enough credit in our world. I'm proud as a follower of Jesus because of the rights that he affirms of creating all people equal and valid. So here's this passage in, um, in Luke, um, 1 Corinthians um, 11, and it, it is a difficult one. There's a word in here to show it. It's a Greek word, and uh, let's say it out loud. The 930 struggled badly, 
But let's say this word out loud as you might think it would be pronounced. Ready? Okay, yeah, you'll dig it. Kefali. And so it means, and um, this is, and you know, being a non-denominational church, we're only 10 and a half years old. So we got people from all kind of walks and we're trying to walk. And y'all know our mission as a church is to help people find faith and express it through love. We have a high view of the scripture. We follow Jesus Christ. We have a statement of faith on our website. And then otherwise we love each other and live in community. And sometimes we wrestle and argue and, and field questions and try to grow in our knowledge of the word. And you hear me say this often, the goal of our instruction, 2 Timothy 1, uh, 5, is, is to, that we would love. The goal of our learning is that we would grow into people of love. So people, Christian people, have a very um, sharp disagreement. And in all likelihood, uh, preaching to hundreds of people today, there's uh, plenty of people, this service, next service, those who will listen later, those who are watching from home, there's going to be disagreement. I'm not suggesting that everybody has to think like me and be completely right on all things. But, uh, but I do want to say to you people, um, I say this humbly, even though that was not humble, um, I say this very humbly, they've, they've killed a lot of trees in uh, arguing this point. And it comes down to where you stand theologically. So I've done this before, and I'm borrowing it from an Old Testament scholar that I have a lot of admiration for. And I, t- I think I taught this in 2019. So if you're here in 2019, repetition aids learning. If you hadn't heard this, this is a very good perspective. But uh, here's what we reject. Uh, what I reject, and I invite you to reject, uh, if, you're a, if you're a Christian, if you're a person of faith who follows Jesus, I want to invite you to reject patriarchy. Was the Bible written to people who were practicing polygamy and had patriarchal systems? Yes. Did God condone it? No. Is patriarchy honoring to Jesus? Can I say no? It's not. Over here, and I got to be careful, over here is not just feminism, but it's radical militant feminism. I've chosen the adjectives carefully. So radical militant feminism says the problem with our society is men. Men are the problem down with the patriarchy. And uh, I have a joke with some of the staff here that uh, we, we, I joke about down with the patriarchy, but I'm just trying to build a bridge to the ladies. But uh, we, 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 uh, we, we want to condemn this. Look at me. We want to condemn this uh, because the world is fighting about gender and the world, there's, and it flows from Genesis. It flows from sin. I'm going to put it up again, remind some of you, but like there's, there's a battle of the sexes and there's all this going on. And it started when sin entered in. It was not God's intention. In fact, the controversial statement, how man rules over woman, that's not God's intention. And if some of you are living that way, heavy-handed, and you know what I pray for you men, if you're living that way and you think that's God's intention for you, like I pray for God's gracious judgment on you. I pray that he'll inflict pain on you, that you'll be found out and that you'll walk away from that because patriarchy doesn't honor God, but nor does radical militant feminism. And people need, and women, some of you need to hear, can I make an appeal? Some of you need to hear this. And the enemy has divided us and it ought not to be. But in the middle, in the middle, we'll put that Greek word back up. That, that's the word head that Paul uses controversially in 1 Corinthians 11. And it's what we disagree on. But over here, there is a teaching and I, what I hold to, all right, just put myself out there. I would consider myself a complementarian. Uh, no one identifies me as that. Maybe you will now, but I consider myself a complementarian, although I'm very ashamed of some complementary scholars and Bible teachers today. I was very embarrassed by John MacArthur, a guy I grew up listening to preach the Bible. He told Beth Moore to be quiet and go home. That brings me, honestly, it brings me shame. I'm embarrassed by that. You may not be. Uh, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. But uh, complementarianism is when you say, and it's a bit um, challenging, 
But a complementarianism says that men and women are equal. We have the same worth and value and merit, but uh, we have different roles at times. And then egalitarianism says uh, we're equal all the way and there's no, different, there's no difference in men and women in terms of roles and responsibilities. And I reject that, but I, hear me now. <laughs> I could be wrong. I've had some of you ask me. I've had scholarly people down the street ask me. I've, I've asked myself on my pillow at night. I, literally, I'm not making this up. What if I'm wrong? Rahe, Robert, do you want to be on the wrong side of history? Here's what I don't want to be on. I don't want to be on the wrong side of God's word. I don't want to acquiesce to what our culture is doing and trying to squeeze us in. And my position is a little more nuanced, all right? I don't win on a sound bite. Like, we have to have two hours of conversation. And I, and I think I can present what the Scripture teaches. But you would need to be open to it. And whether you're male or female, you'd need to be, I hate to use the word, but you'd need to come under it. You would need to submit to the authority of what God has said in an ever-changing culture. So we reject this and we reject this and we're just in the middle. And what I'm saying is let's love each other. Like let's get along. And what's happened in the 10 plus years of Fondren Church is that men and women have loved each other and served well. And we've identified the gifting of, of, bo of both men and women and have affirmed it. We don't, we're just not, my commitment as the pastor here, even with some pushback, I, I, I don't want just, I don't want to just permit women to lead. I want to pursue them to lead because I believe that's what Jesus would do. So we go to this passage and we see some problems with it. We see some confusion. So the source, thank you for keeping it up. So this Greek word kephali means head. Well, what does it mean? Uh, we, again, we interpret it differently. I'm not asking you to believe what I believe. I'm asking you to think on yourself, for yourself, and to maintain unity, especially if you're a leader here. But the word source would be, I've heard one a New Testament scholar present it this way. It could be like, um, source would be like, we could say head water. Like, here's this body of water, but the head water is up there. So it's not authority. It's just like, this feeds that. But authority is like, if you say so-and-so is the head of state, or let's, let's say uh, I'm the head of staff. So if I walked into a staff meeting as the head of staff here, uh, I would have, uh, I hope you would agree, some authority. Uh, so what's the scripture teaching? And this is where people, uh, Christians, uh, see it differently. We're all trying to learn. There's a lot of depth to it. As I mentioned earlier, a lot of trees have died of people arguing their positions here. But I actually believe that it's primarily sourced, but it includes some authority. But not the authority that, uh, that we uh, think about when we think about authority. Because remember, the result of the fall is a power play. And you know what? When there's a breakdown of community, power enters in. Like family, home, church, society, American politics, any kind of politics. Uh, the boys who go fishing, who get marooned on an island, and they call it Lord of the Flies. Like when there's a breakdown of community, there's a power dynamic. And you know that's, that's what's happening in the world today. So it, it can happen in your household. Women, you ever get in a fight with your husband? You think, man, a lot of this is because he's a man and he wants to rule over me. And you get, you know, you ever, and maybe he's a man who wants to rule over you. Maybe he wants to twist some scriptures that were written for a specific time and place and rule over you wrongly. So there's power, a uh, power play that comes into this. Now, this passage says that man is the glory of God and woman is the glory of man. What does that mean? It's easy for that, for a woman to be offensive. Let me address the men real quick. We've started a new thing on Friday mornings. I've invited some some guys that I want to connect with and just to, we're going to do a 10-week study on Samson and coming up Friday I don't want to steal my own thunder but we're talking about how men are prone to this Friday we just got our feet wet we said men are prone to ignore boundaries 
that men need fences. We need people, places, and things to, so that we can be careful because we'll bring shame. We'll be shackled and we'll bring shame like Samson if we're not careful. And this Friday, we're going to look at men struggle with lust. And part of what I want to tell a man, we're going to have a very candid conversation. Women, you are not invited. Boys, you are not invited. But we're going to have a very candid conversation. And part of what I want to tell these men is what God's impressed upon me from 1 Corinthians, which is men, you are the glory of God. You are not an animal. And so that, that battle, your sexual brokenness and dysfunction, your porn problem, all of that, let me, can I just say, you're created in the image of God. You are the glory of God. Live like it. Live up to it. You are not an animal. You are better than that in God's eyes. Live that way. Be freed up to live that way. But women, you're the glory of man. Is that an insult? Sounds like an insult, doesn't it? Sounds like you're lesser. Let me try to, let me try to plead my case. You're not lesser. Saul was called the glory of Israel. Do you, complicated man, King Saul, do you think Saul felt demeaned and degraded to be called the glory of Israel? I would say not. Andrew Wilson, a British theologian that I've really been fired up to learn from and follow, uh, said this. It's a great uh, analogy related to apples and trees and glory and man and woman. The apple is the glory of the apple tree. The tree is the source of the apple. So which is better? Neither. But apples shouldn't act like trees, and trees shouldn't act like apples. They're both good and useful, but they have a unique relationship with one another that's good and right and shouldn't be muddled. To muddle this relationship is to say that God's design isn't good. So I'm stating the obvious here, probably I shouldn't. But um, you would never argue about the apple and apple tree, never, never. But what is it, women, what is it, men, that makes us argue with one another about who is better? And I'm asking everybody, no matter, you know, I'm asking to move away from patriarchy and to move away from radical militant feminism. So uh, whether you have a label or not, if you're arguing or wondering about roles and genders and men and women and the relationship that we ought to have, let the creator speak. Let the creator speak to us. And when God said he created the male and female, like he meant it. And it is an established order. And you choose to live any way you want and follow any way you want to follow. But man, I want to go with what God said. And there's glory in this and there's life in this. And it means something. In Genesis, um, later, it says this. The Lord said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Women, do you feel attacked? Do you feel demeaned? Because you're just a helper. By the way, on the created order things, order argument, the source, source goes both ways. Now, Genesis can get a little fuzzy here, but you know, God created the animals, then he created man. Maybe God was saying, hey, I'm warming up here, and the, the last one's going to be good. Animals, man's better than animals, and I'm going to create women, and they're going to be better. Yeah, all right? So, you know, men, if you're heavy-handed with certain Bible passages, again, I pray you'll be found out. And the Lord will inflict grace on you, enough pain for you to change your ways. Uh, but um, this is not demeaning, and let me tell you why. You know who's called, like, okay, helper. If someone's your helper, if you go to the office tomorrow and you got a helper, can I say be grateful, treat him or her with respect? Um, but that helper can run errands for you. They can be your gopher. They can be your junior assistant, if you will. So Treasure that and use that well. But you know, who all, you know who's called a helper, women? Let me elevate you for a second. You know who in the Bible is called helper? Way more than women. Who? who? Okay, Holy Spirit, we'll go with that. We're taking all kind of answers today. Um, 
God. God. And so um, I'm hoping for tremendous buy-in when I say this. But God is not lower than you on the org chart. God is not your junior assistant. God is not your gopher. And here's what scripture says. I, two of many examples. I'll go old and new. Psalm 54, same word. Surely God is what? Is my help. The Lord is the one who sustains me. He is God, you are not, but he is your help. Jesus in John 14 was about to go away, sensed that the disciples were stubborn and not getting it. And he says this, and I will ask the Father, whoever said Holy Spirit, way to go. And he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. He will help you. That last part's just an addendum. Uh, read it fast if you want. I'm focusing on uh, the first part of that is the Holy Spirit is help. God is a help. Women, to say that you're the helper is not to say you're the junior assistant because God's not the junior assistant. Women, when the Bible says you're the helpmate, it's not to say you're the gopher because God ain't your gopher. Are you with me? And so there, there's affirmation here uh, to both men and women and to our uh, relationship that we should have together. So here's a passage that I want to back up a bit. Um, let me go forward and then we'll go back and then we'll be done. Going forward, 1 Corinthians 16, it says, greet one another with a holy kiss. And the reason I bring that up is what do we make uh, in the passage that we read, 16 verses aloud about veils and head coverings. Now, anybody that's been to seminary, anybody that studied this, uh, you could disagree with me and you may be right, but my understanding after years of looking at it and from different branches of theology and whatnot, um, I think the city of Corinth, uh, all will know this historically, was a very sex-infused culture. And many people there were getting their identity based on their sexuality. Could you imagine that? Like who they were sexually was like who they were. And they were like, you know, trying to get all, uh, trying to be recognized and validated by that. There were gods and goddesses, um, a polyistic uh, society. There was a goddess named Epaphrodite, and she was the uh, goddess of fertility and love, and if you will, promiscuity, honestly. And that was what was happening then. And I believe Paul is writing because prostitutes, there was temple prostitution. And I believe that prostitutes were identified uh, by not wearing their veils. And so this is a verse that's, you know, again, can I, no way is a saying that all women everywhere in all cultures should wear a veil. I mean, come on. It's not saying that um, at all. In fact, it talks about long hair. Did you, did you hit long hair? The study we're doing, we're started on Friday. Samson, what was a sign, hear me now, what was a sign of Samson's obedience to God? Long hair, are you with me? So, I mean, it's culture, culture, context, context, context. It really matters. So back to the um, analogy I want to make. Let's say culturally, um, we read that 1 Corinthians 16, and it says, greet one another with a holy kiss. Well, before the 930 service, I was uh, staring at, there were a lot of mamas here with their with their sons and daughters and, and all the first service. And I was staring out my office, pregame jitters, praying, doing push-ups, getting ready for the first service. And I noticed uh, someone in a, a yellow vest was working, um, parking, as they do. And a woman came past him and he hugged her. And I think he kissed her. And I thought, that's like the extra mile there. That's friendly. And then I realized it was Hayes Singleton. Some of you know Hayes. And he, it was his mama. He was hugging and kissing his mama. And I'm like, that's, he can do that. That's acceptable. That's good. Especially... <laughs> especially today, but let's say that you uh, take that passage, uh, greet one another with a holy kiss, and, man, you run with it, and you show up next week, and you're just kissing everybody because that's what the Bible says. Like, you, you disregard culture and conduct. You just, you're kissing everybody. Two things. Number one, you're creepy. Two, you'll be fired from our greeter team for sure. 
Now, when I was single and married, Susan can tell you, uh, no creepiness here. I lived in Miami. We did our first three years of marriage. It was a thing. The Latin influence, the European influence. Every time, uh, Laura, if I'd see you, Emily, if I'd see you, nothing weird about this. Van wouldn't be mad. Josh wouldn't be mad at me. Uh, we would see each other and go, mwah, mwah, mwah. that's what we did. I kind of miss it, honestly. Um, but that's what we did. But we, that's what they did. But we don't do that. But let's say you go too far this way. This is really important. Stay with me. It's more than an analogy. It's really important to understand the book. Let's say that you say, well, yeah, 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 that's creepy. You'd be fired as a greeter, blah, 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 blah. And then you come over here and go, wait, we just don't, we don't, we just don't greet. I mean, that's just, you know, you wouldn't do that either. Because can I tell you, and listen to me, y'all, parents, especially greet your kids. Put the phone down. When someone walks into a staff meeting tomorrow, look at them and say hello. It's a big deal. We, we don't do it very well. I'm a very sensitive person, so my feelings get hurt. So at least greet me when you see me uh, because you do sit under my feet. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I didn't, I didn't mean to go. But uh, greeting is very important. So you wouldn't, dis- you wouldn't go creepy kissing everybody because the Bible says it, but you wouldn't reject it because it was bound for it. You would, you would say what? Here's what you would do. Here's what you should do. You would say greeting is a timeless principle that God instituted. We need to do it. But you want to be sensitive to how you do it in your culture. You with me? And that's what, so if, if you're lost in the, you know, the minutia of this, I would say rest in that a little bit, the veils and the head coverings and all that. In fact, he, uh, you know, God, and God's not contradicting himself. He's meeting people where they are. You read Exodus 39, it's like men should wear the veils. They didn't call them veils. They called them prayer shawls. But when a man is praying in Exodus 39, he should be the one. Well, what's Paul saying? You see what I'm saying? So it's specific uh, to where, where you are. So God created us equal. My position is a complementary position. I hold it very loosely. I could be wrong, but I think I'm right. And I'm very careful when I say this. I know I'm losing points with some of you. But I believe there is an authority that a man has. I believe there is a right and responsibility to be a leader. I believe it transcends 1 Corinthians 11 and 2 Timothy where it talks about some of this same stuff. I believe it transcends it. I believe it goes back to the garden where God walked in the garden. He said, Adam, where are you? And one of the great breakdowns of men, to borrow the language of Pastor Robert Lewis from Little Rock, Arkansas, man, men can't be men if we, if we don't reject passivity, accept responsibility, and stand courageously. And I will tell you, there's a breakdown in our society because of men walking out and not assuming responsibility. And most women I know want a servant leader. Andy Stanley has a real gift with words. He stays away from tough topics a lot of times, but he's just a master communicator and has a great way with words. And when he preaches Ephesians 5, where it says wives submit to their husbands, it goes on to say um, husbands, um, all of us submit to one another. And Andy Stanley says it's a submission competition. So don't stop with wives be submissive to husbands. It, it, it's, it's us be submissive to one another. And that's the passage. That's, that's how we uh, ought to live. There's this passage, 1 Corinthians 7, 4. Uh, it talks about um, the wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. Can I get an amen? We'll preach that on Father's Day. Like, that's our passage. We'll just stop there and preach it. I mean, come on. I bet every man was nodding their head in Corinth, and I bet you are, you're just afraid. And you're letting me take the heat for you. I appreciate that. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Okay, what? What's up? I'm, I'm, uh, I'll get in trouble here, but um, yeah, the president issued a prayer statement, to, uh, tweeted. He didn't tweet it. Somebody tweeted it. And it was like this, you know, if you pray or whether you pray, we look to ourselves and we look outside. And, blah, blah. and I remember reading that going, I mean, like, 
I mean, I'm, just don't say anything. I mean, I, I mean, he's president, so he's a lot smarter than me, and I'm just a little pastor in Mississippi, but I'm like, dude, you said nothing. And I'm like, nobody's inspired. All right? Nobody. Like, you said nothing. And I feel like Paul just went President Biden before his time. He's like, hey, wives, your body belongs to them. And then he says that. And you're like, where, where does that leave us? I think it leaves us where we don't live for ourselves. Where we love each other. And we take principle of biblical interpretation. You take what is clear in the Bible when you find something unclear. And man, you hang your coat on what is clear. And you hang your coat, and then you go to what's unclear in love. And we want to cultivate the life of the mind. So we want to explore these options of what this means. But we want to do it in a way that's loving. We want to do it in a way that matters. So as Lauren and the team begin to come up, or as they come up, I want to put a couple of closing thoughts um, that matter. And here's one here. I'll hang my hat on this. Men and women are different. Men and women are equal value. If the way you are trying to show distinction degrades one gender, this is failure. If the way you are trying to display equality erases any distinction, this is failure. And lastly, y'all stand. If you want to know about Fawner Church, if you're checking us out, don't let this sermon be the only one you hear. But I do want you to know this. It's where I stand. And every leader better stand here with me. God's word is good. His design is best. Even when it goes against culture. Come on. Let's pray. Father, thanks for this day. Thank you for these mamas. Thank you for these women who wait to be moms. Thank you for these men and women, boys and girls who've lost a mom. Thank you for the moms who bear a heavy weight. Thank you for the moms who hurt over a prodigal. Thank you for the moms who feel looked past. I even pray for the moms who feel devalued by a quote-unquote Christian husband. Let us as a church walk hand in hand to love and serve and hold close to what is so clear in your word, to what is culturally bound or debatable or confusing or even offensive to us modern folk, that we would learn to read and learn and let our leaders sit at your feet. And Jesus, I thank you for a Savior who invited women for the first time in the history of the world to sit and learn and be equal with men. Come on. Bless these tithes and offerings. In Jesus we pray.